What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Sports Inventory with your host, Ben Kuchipudi and Tyler, the Cowboy Grandbaby. Ben, how are you doing today? I am doing great. You know, it's been a it's been a busy break. I'm I'm off from school for a week, so I've been watching watching some sports, doing some work, but it's been very enjoying, very enjoyable, very restful, well needed. Tyler, how are you doing on this um, beautiful evening? As long as the great God wakes me up each morning, I am doing great. But there is one team that is not doing so great right now, and they belong oh. in New York, in Queens. They play in a brick building called City Field. Ben. The Mets losing to the Padres in the wild card. How do you feel about that? Oh God, this is a this is a collapse if if I've ever seen one. You know, just over a month ago, the Mets were up ten and a half games on the Braves for the division in the for the uh, lead in the division. Now, fast forward to now, they're losing the wild card to the Padres with all games at City Field, which is disappointing to say the least because. The Mets were so good in the regular season, over a hundred wins, and they they lo- they get absolutely killed by the Braves and the end of their season series, and now they're a wild card team and they lose to the Padres. I mean, you can't really put it you can't really like put like any better way to describe it other than a collapse and a failure by the Mets. Absolutely, Ben. Absolutely. One thing that's really sticking out like a sore thumb for me is the Mets' payroll. Uh, clearly, this season, they wanted to stack all their cards in one deck and go fully out, paying a total of $282 million for their current roster. One of their top earners, one uh, Max Scherzer, getting paid $197 million over the duration of his three-year contract. But he was the guy that didn't show up during that wild card series. When he pitched... Oh, boy, was that a disaster showing. And I think Max Scherzer is an immense talent on the mound, but he's nearing the end of his career, and he's going to slowly, slowly regress. Or maybe after this series, we see a big plateau with him. DeGrom also having a fatty contract, $137 million, and he isn't available all the time that you want him, you know? And this Mets team, it's sad to see, obviously, me and you, and our Yankees fans, so we kind of laugh to ourselves about this. But seeing the Mets collapse like this, it's it's an embarrassment to Mets baseball. And it's it's sad to see them just collapse like this. And they have this roster of immense talent. But the thing about talent like this is you can't win when it's bought. You win when it's grown at home. A lot of these guys were acquired from elsewhere. Marte coming from Oakland. Scherzer obviously leaving his place. And Lindor not even becoming a long-tenured vet you know, joined this team not too long ago. So the thing about this Mets team is they got to continue to work together. But the thing is, they're also getting older, you know, and injuries are plaguing them a little bit. So they got to figure that out, add some youth to the lineup and availability because the best ability is availability. Ben, do you agree? I completely agree. And, you know, this is, I do feel bad for the Mets a little bit. You know, they've had some, they've had some rough seasons and they've been marred by injury, as we know, over the past few years. And finally, it seems like they're all healthy, went over 100 games, but the the collapse over the last month, five weeks is like it's awful. And I would feel I feel for all Mets fans. Thank God I'm not a Mets fan, but mm. this is their this is was their first hundred win season since 1988. That's a long time. So it's it's nice to see. I'm sure for Mets fans, it's nice to see that they did win 100 games, and this is definitely one of their best, se- easily their best season in recent memory. 
Yeah. But where do you go from here with the cap space and everyone getting older? It's kind of it kind of puts like a a cloud over the future. And the it's really murky right now, so we have no idea where this team is going to go from here. Will they win 100 games next year? I have no idea, but this team could be due for a big regression. Yeah, I I see it coming inbound. And I think the thing that turned it around for them and kind of gave them a good stab in the chest was that Atlanta Braves series. Uh, as we know, coming into that series in the regular season towards the end, they were expected to win their division and win all that stuff and have their little comfort. But they got completely shattered in that series, cleaned house. And morally, it was a huge defeat for the franchise and everybody involved. And going into the postseason, what an absolute sweep series, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. And the Padres, we had them, Ben, being a project team for the future. You know, they had their young scars, stars, yep. excuse me, and they have to develop. But the fact that they picked up this staple win against the Mets, you know, it shows their potential. And Fernando's not even there. And they're going to get other prospects and, you know, really grow together. So this is a huge loss for the Mets, as we know. But also a nice little win for the Padres in their future. Great win for the Padres. And we talked about Juan Soto multiple times on the show over the last few months. And you get Juan Soto on the team, and now they're – now they won a playoff series. So overall, I'm happy for the Padres because they do have a very nice young core. So, and I think they'll be good for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So we're done talking about the Mets for now. That We can laugh at them all we want later. But we're going to move on to our Yankees. They won 4-1 to against the Cleveland Guardians. And now they're up 1-0 in the series. You know, it's nice that they won. But as we know, baseball is not a one-game series. So, Tyler, what do you think about our boys in the pinstripes? First and foremost, um, good job on the win, gentlemen. Um, We have a couple of kinks to work out. Garrett Cole did his thing on the mound, pretty, you know, keeping things into check, you know, keeping only three batters being able to hit. Obviously, Jose Ramirez is going to do his thing because he's a great player. Um, But the thing is, Cal Quantrill for the uh, Cleveland Guardians, or formerly known as the Indians, I can never really get used to that, Ben. Um, he did really good to start off the bat against us on the mound. He was torching us in the zone, uh, going high inside on power hitters, and he kept Judge, you know, basically out of the game, hitless, and then the walk towards the end. Um, and then he just, you know, absolutely imploded, and we started getting hits. Bader, welcome to the team formally, by the way. Bader is an immense athlete, Golden Glove candidate in center field, and with a huge staple home run for his postseason debut for the Yankees. Um, this team makes me excited going to the postseason play like this. Uh, me and my friend Ryan, uh, who I dorm with, we had a talk that there's going to be guys on this team that we thought low of who are going to excel in the postseason, and there are going to be guys who going into the postseason we thought are going to do great and might not do great. And I think Harrison Bader and even Cabrera are two guys that we don't even really think of too often, but they're really going to help us push into the postseason, especially against harder opponents, because Bader and Cabrera, great hitters, gifted batters, and they're also great gloves as well. If everybody saw the Yankees game when he made that foul catch, lost his hat, Cabrera I'm referring to in left field, these guys can play ball, you know? My only question is Aaron Judge, I know it's just one game, but you got to come in and show your MVP form. Giancarlo has to improve. Uh, Rizzo's going to do his thing and find it, but our pitching too. Garrett Cole has been there and done that for the Houston Astros, and it's no different in pinstripes. But I want to see the longevity of Nestor Cortez and the rest of our bullpen because it's series 
that win it all. It's not one game. You know, Garrett Cole came onto the mound, but now he needs a couple of days rest. And can Nestor Cortez, you know, hone it down for this upcoming game? But here's the funny thing. In New York, we have this weather warning right now. And if we miss this game tomorrow, it could push a lot of us back and it can change the bullpen as we know it. Yeah. And yeah, as we know, Garrett Cole, one of the best pitchers in baseball. But what Nestor... Yeah, what we kind of this if this weather report is what you say it is and it is pushed back, it would be nice to have Garakol pitching again for game two. But I, you can't really take you have to um take this Guardians team more seriously. You know, you won the game, but if you're starting um a different pitcher other than Garrett Cole, it could give you some trouble. But I feel like they should enjoy this win for right now. But it's right back. You have to move on to um tomorrow's game and it gives honestly this game gives me a little bit of hope because if Aaron Judge wasn't playing at his um best and we still won I still I think um the Yankees should be fine for the rest of this series obviously everyone's gonna have their up and downs but especially from your best player and Aaron Judge you need him to be playing at an MVP level for the whole postseason because that's not gonna fly against other teams no, it's not going to fly. Absolutely, Ben. It's, you know, you have MVP season, 62 home runs. A lot of it, people crown it as the unsteroid home run record. Whatever. Barry Bonds is great and all. But he has to keep up that play. And the Cleveland Guardians or Indians in the past couple years, we have been giving them quite the beating. You know, we generally perform better against the Guardians, but their bullpen is deep. And even though they're on the lower side of the payroll, that team is pretty well constructed of young guys who want to prove themselves. So they they can pull out a staple win in game two or game three and really change the tide of this series. So congrats on the win, but we have to keep pushing forward and we cannot take them lightly, as you said, Ben. I completely agree. And before we uh, move on to our next topic, I just want to hear your thoughts on Araldis Chapman and how he quit on the team. Chapman is an interesting figure. You know, I've been quite the Chapman fan for the longest time. And it's just, it, there's always been a conflict of interest for him because the past couple of years, he had, his ERA has been imploding. He has been predictable because when he was at the helm of his career for the Reds and other teams, um, the guy was just unstoppable. He threw 105 over the mound. He's 6'6". You know, he, he can reach the plate, basically. He was an absolute menace as a closer. And with the departure of uh, Mariano Rivera, the Yankees were trying to quick to fill in the legendary closing position that they've held for a very, very long time. And the thing about Chapman at his early onset for the Yankees, it worked. 105 worked, you know, you know, fastballs up the middle. Um, His accuracy was better when he first got here. But over time. We have been getting better at closing. We've been getting better at pitching. And a lot of guys can throw that fast now, you know. And in this is a league where you have to have some sort of variability. You have to have some sort of uh, diversity with your pitches. You see Max Scherzer, you know, obviously he lost. But he's a six-pitch, five-pitch guy. He could throw a cutter, a fastball, a two-seamer. What is Chapman have to offer besides that Staples fastball, which has lost a lot of accuracy as of late? You know, I love Chapman. He was an amazing closer, but he's also hitting a big regression point. And the fact that there's this disconnect between him and the Yankees, if I'm the Yankees, I say, okay, bye bye, man. Like, you're not, you're, you weren't what you once were. 
and they have to fill that reliever position quickly, which there's a lot of guys in the league we can acquire or work up, but Chapman isn't what he once was, and I think the Yankees see that, and they told him to his face, and he didn't like that, but the facts are the facts, and the stats are the stats, and it's true. Chapman isn't what he once was, and I think the Yankees should remove him from the team. Yeah, you know, Aaron, Aaron Boone told Chapman to stay in Florida, and honestly, if he doesn't, if he doesn't want to be on the team, that's fine. You want to have guys who want to be on your team and want to help win and are willing to make the sacrifice. And the fact that Chapman isn't doing that just shows a lot about his character. And it, it's best for the Yankees to move on without him because yeah. he's not what he was before. Yeah, it's it's like you see the closers nowadays, the Edwin Diaz's and those guys. They have four pitch four pitches as a closer. You, they have mean cutters and splitters and curveballs. Chapman never had an arsenal. He just relied on that super, super fastball, which is insane and very hard to hit. But this is a league where a, a lot of guys can do this. Relievers can do it. Starters can do it, you know. And he, he's not hes not uh, that unicorn anymore. He's a one-trick pony, and that trick has been found out. And he's no longer the magician on the mound. He's just a, you know, a very predictable closer. And I think it's time to go, Chapman. I completely agree on that point. But moving on to um, another um, segment of New York sports, two of the, the best stories in the NFL right now, because as we've said many times with um, New York teams, mainly the New York Knicks, when New York is good, life is good. And right now we are talking about Big Blue, the New York Giants, 4-1 and one after a stunning upset of the Packers in London. As a Dallas Cowboys fan, I know you – aren't a giant supporter by any means. <laughs> but you can't but honestly, you can't really help but feel happy for this team after what they've dealt with. Yes, yes. The thing about me being a Dallas Cowboys fan, I never had hatred towards the Giants. It's just some Giants fans piss me off because they're very entitled and they're very passionate about their teams, which I'm all about. But first and foremost, before I get into the Giants, congratulations on the NFC East, which has been the laughing stock for the league, but now they hold the only undefeated team two four and one teams and the commanders but you know they are they the thing about this giants team is i think the biggest change to this team is their head coach brian deball he has been the guy that has changed the culture in new york you see his passion on the sidelines throwing challenge flags yelling at his team holding them accountable this is something that the giants have lacked a good head coach and this guy should be the coach of the Giants for as long as he can breathe because the intensity he brings to this team that needed it so desperately, they finally have. Now, before I get into this, and the Cowboys are guilty of this too, is our schedule, right? Week one, they versed the Titans, which was a great game, but the Titans aren't what they used to be, and the Giants' defense hindered on Ryan Tannehill's problems and locked down Derrick Henry. I'll give you that win. But the next two I find funny. The Panthers, who are the worst team in the league, you pull out a win. Uh, Cowboys, you lost. Congratulations, guys. And you also beat up on the Bears, who are also a terrible team. And Cooper Cup has more receptions than Justin Fields has thrown passes. You know, the Bears and the Panthers, two garbage teams that the Giants beat up on. And the Packers, I'll give you. So there's only two wins on this schedule that are legitimate wins against really good competition. But the other two is somewhat of a schedule pat. And obviously we're going to see them really try to test it uh, this Sunday against the Ravens and later on the schedule against the Eagles and us again. But the thing about the NFC East schedules is 
they're pretty easy. Cowboys, obviously, I can agree with that because Bucks we lost week one, and then every other opponent we've we've beaten thus far, whether they be injured or just you know not lined well up against us. Granted, are the Giants and Cowboys good teams? Yes, their defense is good. You know, the Giants really got to worry about their injury right now with Leonard Williams, stuff like that. But this team, they look good. They have a bright future. There's a couple of guys we should look to replace or move. Danny Dimes, I'm still not sold on him. He's a check down Charlie, and he does what he has to do. But he can move a little bit. But all it takes is one hit for him to just stay his ass in the pocket. And the thing is for the Giants is I would love to see them be good so our matchups against them are valid and fun. But this team isn't as good as one would think they are. You have to look at the stats. Their rushing game is phenomenal, but their passing game is mediocre. You know, they're, they, 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 they barely get any sacks, but their secondary is pretty gifted at the moment. But the thing about the Giants is they got to make a couple of additions and train up a couple of guys, and I think they should be just fine for the future. You know, the Giants, like, they did start 4-1. and one. I've, I've mentioned this to many of my Giants fans' friends, that their schedule is very easy. But... A 4 and one start through the first five games for the Giants is something to be excited about. Right now, they're currently sixth in the NFC because of how good the NFC East is. But like you said, wins over the, the Titans, who aren't what they used to be, the Panthers, who might be the worst team in football, and the Bears, who are another awful team. Um, I mean, it does say something about it, but the thing I get from it is that they're able to beat up on the opponents that they should win. And you should. And every team, if you want to be good, you gotta beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. And after the Ravens game, their schedule is getting easy. Still, you have the Jaguars again. They have the Jaguars in Jacksonville, the Seahawks in Seattle, the Texans at home, the Lions at home. That that's a very nice four game stretch that could define whether this team is a playoff team or not. Because after because. By the time the Giants play the Cowboys in Dallas, there is a chance that this team could be eight and two heading into into Dallas, which I don't personally see happening because teams lose to teams they aren't supposed to lose. It's just a it's just football in general. But yeah. Giants seem very good. This is a different team. Brian Dable no knows how to change the culture, and he's making the offense good with guys like Richie James and David Sills as the number one and two receivers. Granted, Saquon Barkley is right currently the best running back in football, and he's going to win comeback player of the year. And yet, and Andrew Thomas is currently rated the best tackle, according to PFF. The line has stayed relatively all right. Daniel Jones has played solid football, not eye-opening, but he's not turning the ball over as much as he used to, and he's making the right plays. And the defense as a whole, like their secondary is very good. They they beat the Packers and they were out there they were without their top two cornerbacks, which is saying something. So there's a I have a lot of faith in this Giants team. Me being a Jets fan, I don't like to see it as much, but it's you can't really help but feel happy for them because it's been a very big mess in a big blue the last five or six years. Of course, of course, Ben. And it's just it's very interesting for me for the Giants because um, what is the end game here? Because let's say you do beat up on the opponents you're supposed to beat up as the Texans and the Jaguars and so on and so forth. You're not going to get a good pick from that. And you're not going to survive in the postseason against the heavy hitters. So what's the purpose of this season? Is it a statement to really, you know, solidify, you know, the De, uh, ball's position as head coach? Is it a try on season to get Saquon's legs back? What's the deal here? And the thing is, 
let's say they do make it to the postseason miraculously, because then again, the NFC is very, very you know tough at the moment. You guys don't have any receivers. Daniel Jones is not the guy to go to in a postseason, you know, mode. And you can only run the ball so much. This is in the 1980s where Walter Payton is just running every other down. Saquon, you know, is an immense athlete, generational talent, an awesome guy on and off the field. But you have to start opening up the passing game. And the thing is, play action works in New York. But you're gonna if you go up against a team that's at least top ten in defense. There's going to be a collapse on the offensive end, and their defense can hold it together, but it's the offense that needs work. And like you said, Ben, Andrew Thomas being one of the higher-rated guys in, in the league for linemen and stuff like that, but when you go against a good pass, you know, rush defensive team like the Dallas, you saw Danny Dimes got hit. You know, Panthers, Bears, Packers, those guys lacked that defensive pass rush but when you go go up against a comparable pass rush Danny Dimes collapse and he makes his terrible terrible decisions uh in and out of the pocket but if I'm the New York if I'm a New York Giants fan I see a bright future but changes have to be made at several positions and acquisitions have to be acquired you know it's it's kind of weird before the season I thought the Giants would tank for someone like CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or even a Will Levis or someone like that, because they declined Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. Now, if the Giants do make the playoffs, they're at a crossroads because Daniel Jones by any is not lighting up the stat sheets by any means. So you kind of have to, at this point, if you're not high enough for a quarterback, you kind of have to extend him because you don't really have a plan at quarterback besides that. And you still got to find a way to dump Kenny Galladay's contract. You're going to have to attach a very high pick to get rid of him. And Kadarius Tony, the jury's still out on him. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. When he has been healthy, he's been okay to say the least. He's been pretty solid, I guess, but he hasn't stayed healthy. And obviously, with Saquon, many of my um, Giants fans' friends wanted Barkley gone after um, this season because he wasn't able to stay healthy. Now he's having an offensive player of the year campaign. And are you going to extend him? Are you willing to allocate the money to a running back? Because Running backs, as we've seen in so many years past and currently, running backs are very disposable. You don't really, you don't have to extend them because at the end of the day, it really matters about the O-line. Granted, there are very few players in the league who are as elusive and as talented as Saquon is, Mm -hmm. but Joe Shane has a lot of, um, has a lot of work to do and a lot of decisions to make when it comes to cap space and um, replacing guys on the roster because Obviously, these guys aren't Super Bowl contenders now, and the goal is to make that the team a Super Bowl contender. So there's going to be changes made, whether this team collapses and misses the playoffs or stays hot and makes the playoffs. And we could very well see a very new receiving core, and we could also see a new quarterback, depending on if they really believe in Daniel Jones or not. Absolutely, Ben. And there's one common theme that I keep seeing among Super Bowl-winning teams is that the running back is the least paid guy on offense. Let's be real. You know, you have the Buccaneers and you have the Rams and, you know, you have the Chiefs. Look at the running backs on those teams. They aren't Saquon. They aren't paid like Saquon. They are Leonard Fournette on a veteran minimum. They're Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on pushing his rookie extension. The thing about Super Bowl offenses is that the blunt of your money is on your line, your playmaking wide receivers, and your quarterback. And if the Giants go all in on Saquon, 
great for you, Saquon, to acquire a fatty contract, but the bowl in the front office is not going to have the funds to allocate for the rest of that offensive roster. Defense is fine. I think their defense can grow and mold into a great defense in this league. But the common theme I'm seeing amongst at least modern era Super Bowl teams is that the running back is the least regarded, least paid position on the offensive end of the ball. And if they front, front that money to Saquon, it's going to limit the flexibility the Giants have on the offensive to acquire, trade, or even extend some players. Yeah, and the running it's going to be um interesting to see what the Giants do because there are teams that could there are high powered offenses that could use Saquon. We've we know the Bills and the Chiefs aren't stacked at running back, and you know they could have always flipped Saquon for a pick to one of those teams. But it's good that they believed in Saquon. I'm so happy to see him balling out on the field again. We haven't seen him move like this since his rookie year, and we're I'm just hoping the guy stays healthy so he can get that contract. Of course, but. The Giants is gonna they're gonna see a lot of uh, roster change in the offseason. And maybe they'll see roster changes in the middle of the season. You know, Odell is recovering from his torn ACL, but if the Giants are staying on their winning ways, you could we could see Odell back in New York, and I'm sure many Giants fans would love that. Well, we'll see we'll see. I think Odell's eyeing more of a contender, competitor type team. I think the Giants are in too much of a limbo for him to go to because I think at this point in Odell's career, he's trying to find something to bolster his legacy and have a comparable quarterback. And Danny Dimes is not that guy. I think he should be looking towards the wayside of Josh. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, or even back in uh, L.A., but Matt Stafford has his quarries right now. Yeah, the yeah the Rams overall. Oh God, they look. Do they look rough? You you know, as your boys beat up on them last of week. Of course, of course. I thought that game going in, uh, Cooper Rush wasn't going to do as hot because their defense is still controlled by McVay, who's an absolute genius. But we did we did hold our own, and it they impressed me. That was a good win for the Super Bowl uh, defending champs. Completely agree. And moving on to our last segment of the show, we're getting into my boys, Gangrene, the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. It's a good time to be a Jets fan. I haven't been able to say that in over a decade. (laughs) Oh, man. So I was actually at their most recent game against the Miami Dolphins. I I was there with my good friend, uh, Jeffrey. Um, shout out to Jeff, a uh, good friend of mine and good friend of Tyler. So, uh, so we came into the game. We, we always, we always thought that, um, you know, we would beat Pittsburgh and that we would go into MetLife two and two and we win against the Dolphins and take over and take the lead over them in the division. That's exactly what happened. And we beat them in convincing fashion. And I'm actually going to go on a little bit of a rant here because I've heard many, people on uh, the national media, um, Stephen A. Smith in particular, and Brady Quinn. Um, so the Dolphins played the majority of this game with their third-string quarterback, Skylar Thompson, because Tua Tagovailoa was obviously out with concussion, and Teddy Bridgewater came up uh, a little wobbly after Sauce Gardner forced a safety on him. So Skylar played an okay game, 19 of 33 completion, 166 yards and a pick. Kind of what you expect from a third-string quarterback. Yeah. And the Jets won in convincing fashion by a score of 40-17. to 17. Zach Wilson threw for um, 14-21, um, 210 yards. That's 10 yards in attempt. And he had a rushing touchdown. And the rest of the guys, we had five total touchdowns on the ground. Brees Hall with almost 200 yards from scrimmage. 
and a touchdown. Michael Carter with two touch rushing touchdowns and Braxton Barrios with a rushing touchdown. So I want to I want to make something very clear. I'm not trashing the Dolphins by any means because they did play with a third string quarterback. But I don't think this game would have gone very differently if, if they started Teddy or even Tua. Because Tua and Teddy are not stopping the run. They're they are um throwing the ball and they're trying to make stuff happen with their receivers. And granted, even though it was a third string quarterback, the duo of DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner absolutely locked up Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. And maybe having those two quarterbacks would have made a little bit of a difference. For me, they're not stopping the Jets putting up a 40 piece on them. Mm-hmm. And this is their first division win in over three years, which is astonishing. And the first time putting up a 40 piece since 2018. So this is definitely the most exciting uh, Jets game that I've seen in years because MetLife was packed. It was loud. We You don't really see that a lot from Jets fans. Usually these opponent, opposing fans taking over the stadium, but felt good seeing MetLife that packed. And Jets fans are fi- are coming back out of their hibernation because they're three and two in October. You can't say that a lot. And they're currently the fifth seed in the AFC East with the first wildcard spot. And if they buy if they upset the Packers and the Bills lose, they are gonna be first in the division. I'm not getting ahead of myself there, but just some hypotheticals on this team. Of course. But this team, it's it's beautiful to see this team come together because there's been a lot of rough seasons of the Jets fans, as I know, and as um, Grace, who was on the show last week, knows very well. They, um, the Jets are different this year. This is not the same old Jets. They play, they play their hearts out for their coach, and um, they have ta- this is the most talented team since they've made the playoffs. They're, they have a very good group of skill position guys with rookie Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, rookie Brees Hall, Michael Carter, and Tyler Conklin. Of, an improved offensive line, even though they've been dealing with injuries so much that Elijah Vera Tucker had to play his third position in five games on the offensive line and still played at a high level. And um, there's just the team just isn't the same as previous years because they fight hard for Robert Sala. The receipts are being taken. Um, there was Robert Sala received some heat for that after the week one loss against Baltimore. But since then, they're three and one, and receipts are being taken with comeback wins on the roads against, on the road against the Browns and the Steelers, and this huge win against Miami. I. I just want to ask where the haters are, especially Brady Quinn, who's, who said the Jets would start 0-9. They aren't 0-9, Brady. They're five and they're they're 3-2 right now with the potential to be even better. So I'm just very happy for this team right now. Beautiful. Ben, I'm, I'm honestly happy for you guys too. Um, a lot of near and dear friends to my heart are Jets fans. And watching you guys struggle over the years has been nothing short of sad, you know? And I love you guys because I've been to your training camps. I've been to MetLife when it was in green, not blue. And um, this 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 win, before I get into the Jets, I just want to say one thing. This exposed the Dolphins' hole that they have, which is defense against the run. You guys ran it down their throats. Brees Hall, 18 carries, 97 yards in the tutty. You know, Michael Carter with his 21 yards. And just several rushing touchdowns as a team. And... They also can't prevent big plays from happening. Brees Hall with that little pa- pass from Zach Wilson that went for 79 yards 
Brees Hall with 100 yards and two receptions. Talk about some Madden numbers. You know, his day, his day could have been his day could have been even better. Better. Both of his receptions, he was dropped at the one. So he yeah. could have had a three touchdown day if things yeah, went his way. Yeah, he fantasy owners of Brees Hall would have absolutely been livid like Travis Kelsey with the with the four tutties. But that this exposed the hole for the Dolphins. But now to the obviously winning Jets, 40 to 17. This was an awesome win for you guys, and I think that your loss against the Ravens week one for your team as a whole was necessary to put some sort of flame under you for the rest of the schedule because a lot of your wins going forward were great statement wins where you guys really worked hard against the Browns. Everybody saw it. You know, the Bengals obviously pulled their thing out, but when you guys went to the Steelers, great stuff. And this statement went against the Dolphins going into your next couple of games against the Packers, Broncos, and Patriots. I could see you guys win them all or even have a close one with the Packers. And it's like this team looks so, so promising, so young, so hip, and just so fiery. And um, let's just say Johnny got his ice cream, baby. You know, he went to his ice cream. Johnny got his ice cream. And um, as we know it, Ben, if Sauce Gardner becomes the cornerback that we all think he will be, you know, being the Deion Sanders level of good, you just witnessed his first ever career interception. Uh, against the Dolphins and his first ever safety. Yeah, so you you know you're seeing this team in its in its origins. You're seeing it at its roots, and I really hope that this New York Jets tree grows large and fruitful, and it brings great apples to the city of New York and New Jersey. But um, it was a great win for you guys, and obviously your schedule is going to be a little bit on the tougher side going forward. Obviously, you have the Packers this Sunday, and then you have the Broncos, who have their kinks, and Patriots, who have a solid defense, and then the Bills, November 6th. That's going to be quite the game to go up against, but you also face the Bills twice ne- you know, next time in December. So your, ru- your schedule is definitely a little harder than you know mine or the Giants. I'm mine as I speak in Dallas, of course. So, but that's just your division. That's what you guys have been living with for the past decade. And that's probably why you haven't been able to make certain pushes and certain acquisitions because you're in such a tough spot being a subpar team all those years and being in a tough division. But now you have a comparable team in a tough division. And I can see you pull out a couple of statement wins and it would be an absolute joy to see you guys push into the playoffs and do something, you know, in the near future. You know, Robert Sala back in April, he, um, he said that the most important thing for the Jets was to close the gap between the division. They've over the last um, three years they were 0 and 12 against the division, and they've been out and they've been outscored by over 16 points. And he said, "Excuse my friends," he said, "that shit ends this year." And it, <laughs> it, okay? We won by 23 against Miami, and this gives so much hope for me and other Jets fans going into this into the other part of the season. And these next three games will really be telling if this Jets team is for real or if it was just a first, a fun first five games. Because you got the Packers on the road coming off the loss in London. You got the Broncos who look absolutely awful with Nate Hackett at the helm. Yeah. And then you got the Patriots at home on um Hall- on um Halloween Eve. And we have no idea if Mac Jones will be back by that, but it's the Patriots. You know, the pa- Bill Belichick always loves to torture the Jets. Yeah. And Jets beat writer Connor Hughes actually tweeted today, if the Jets win two out of the next three games, they're going to the playoffs, which I can which I can see happening because if they win those next three, if they win two of those next three, they'll be five and three. And let's just say they lose to the Bills because the Bills are probably the best team in football right now. Let's say they go into their bye five and four. 
which is so much better than what most people expected. Oh, and nine is not on the table anymore, obviously. So over their schedule after the buy gets considerably easier. The only teams that are above 500 at the moment in the second half of the schedule are the Vikings and the Bills. Other than that, they play the Patriots again. They play the Bears at home. They play the Lions at home. They play the Jaguars at home. They play the Seahawks on the road. And then you got a game against Miami at the end of the year in Miami that could decide which one of those teams gets into the wild card spot. Not Now, I know it's only five games, and it's maybe a little early to be thinking about playoffs. But there is a lot of hype around this Jets team, and I'm buying into it because this team is so much different than years past. It is not the same old Jets anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100% agree, Ben. It's it's exciting for New York as a whole. Every single New York team, minus the Knicks, of course, because you know we'll get into them in a later episode or down the line. But every New York team right now, and know what? I'll throw Buffalo in there because I know they're not true New York, Ben. You mentioned that, but they're still part of the state. New York as a whole in athletics is going towards the future, and they're looking good in all fronts. Yeah. I- the Knicks, they look pretty good in those two preseason games. But let's Listen, Ben, the NBA season's coming upon us. The Knicks are not going to do good. Jalen Brunson's going to be whack, and that team's going to self-implode, and Thibodeau's going to lose his job after the season. Mark my words right here. But Let's, York- let's see what happens a week from today. Got the, got the Grizzlies in Memphis. Let's see if they can make a statement win. Good not luck bad. against Ja Morant. But bottom line, bottom dollar, I'm going to sign the bottom of this paper. My John Hancock, New York is looking good. New York City is the greatest city on earth, and the sports are following suit. They all look young. They look hip. They look like they're with the time. And it's finally looking up for all of New York athletic clubs. We'd love to see it. Also, with going moving to hockey for a little bit, the, the Rangers won their um, home opener, which is a great sign. And I think, um, as you said, all New York teams minus the Knicks, obviously. And maybe you could throw the Islanders in there, too. but. With the Yankees, the Mets, unfortunately the Nets, the Islanders, not maybe the Islanders, but the Rangers, the Jets, the Giants. This is the best team. These are the best New York teams that we've seen in a while. And, you know, we always just see these um great sports cities, Boston, Los Angeles, and New York might be on the come up to be in that same conversation because all these teams have such bright futures mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's 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 on the back front of historic histories you know the yankees being the most decorated franchise on planet earth and a lot of these teams in new york were that of the past the jets having a rich history the giants obviously having a rich history and you know obviously plenty of hall of famers coming out of it same thing with the mets but there's been this little dry spell for New York sports not being as good as what they once were. The Lawrence Taylor days, you know, the Babe Ruth days. But I think after this little dry spell of the early 2000s and pushing into it, obviously, you know, we have a couple of like, you know, giant Super Bowls here and there. But this might be where the New York finally becomes, the you know, the great sports city that it once was. Because New York City is the greatest city on earth. And we just need the sports to be back to where they were from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. They got to get back there. And I think we're finally looking up. Yeah, things are on the right track with all with these teams coming into their own, especially for football, because the Jets and the Giants have been some of the worst teams over the past five years, the Jets the last decade. Mm-hmm. But with these teams possibly turning a huge corner, it's gonna it's good for 
New York, and football fans. Because as our our motto, when New York is good, life, life is, good. is good, baby. All right, so that's going to end a, another episode of the Sports Inventory. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Once again, I'm Ben Kuchapudi. And I'm Tyler the Cowboy Grand, baby. Stay tuned for the next one. We'll see you guys later. Peace.